Lord Jesus, you are indeed a mighty God. But all too often, we reduce you to something smaller and something weaker. So Lord, we ask that this morning you'd open your word and please teach us from it so that we could know the real you. And Lord, along the way, we'd ask that you would make us courageous people in your image. And we will be grateful. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want you to think about all the pictures you've seen of Jesus in your life, maybe in a children's Bible or hanging up in a church. Most of the time, they show a very sort of gentle, calm Jesus. You know, Jesus in a pasture somewhere, maybe Jesus with some sheep or some children, you know, always looking very mild, always looking very calm, always looking very gentle. It's kind of the Jesus on Prozac look. Gentle, meek, mild, and above all, nice. Now, to be sure, at times, Jesus is gentle. He gathers children in his arms. He, he cares for us when we're hurting. But that's only one aspect of his personality. He's also powerful. And when you look at those pictures of him, you have to wonder sometimes, is this the power that spun the Milky Way? Is this the God that made the mountains rise? Is this the Son of God that Mozart wrote that wonderful piece, Dies Irae, about? See, the problem with those pictures is, is they don't capture the totality of who Jesus is. They don't capture his power, his determination, his fierceness. And so Jesus ends up looking less like our Savior and sort of more like Mr. Rogers with a beard. And what's interesting to me is that nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus is nice. It says that he's loving. And while love can be very gentle, love can also be very fierce at times. My wife is incredibly nurturing with our kids. But if she's on the playground and someone says something mean to one of our kids, watch out. I mean, that little bully better run fast because there's going to be trouble. Love is gentle, but love is also very fierce. And I think this is important because how we behave as Christians and what we do as a church will be determined in large part by who we think Jesus is. And if we think that Jesus is nice, well, then we're going to try to be nice. But if we think that Jesus is fiercely, courageously loving, then we're going to try to be fiercely, courageously loving, which is why I wanted to do this series on the plastic Jesus to find the authentic Jesus so that as we begin a new adventure together to reach out to a hurting world, we make sure that we're taking our cues from the real Jesus, not a plastic version of him. And the real Jesus is loving, but he's not always nice. And you can see this in the story that we just read about Jesus cleansing the temple. I mean, from the merchant's point of view, Jesus at this point is not being nice at all. From their point of view, all they're trying to do is provide a service. Because, see, to worship in the temple, you needed two things. You needed an animal to sacrifice, which the merchants were selling, and you needed some money to give an offering, which had to be paid in special temple currency, and the money changers were there to provide that for you, at a fee, of course, and that was part of the problem, because they were charging exorbitant rates, ten times the going rate. Nevertheless, this was a commonly accepted custom of the time, and Jesus, without so much as a howdy-do, just comes in and starts pitching over the tables and making a fuss. It's not nice. And it's not the kind of thing that religious leaders are supposed to do. I mean, look at it this way. Let's just say one Sunday morning, Scott Dean here goes berserk. 
It could happen. It's possible. And he starts throwing over instruments and pushing over music stands and saying, No, I said clap on the one and three. One and three. No. It'd be awkward, don't you think? There'd be a fuss. I'd get letters. What did you do to Scott? He never did this when Dick was here. What did you do? You've only been here a month. And then, you know, some elders and I would have to pull him aside and ask him, you know, what's wrong? What is it? What's bugging you? Was it the Plastic Jesus song? Is that it? It'd be awkward. It'd be scandalous. I, I got to say, I had his permission to use him as an example. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. <laughs> now, if he were to do that, that would be just kind of a mess. And you can understand, then, why people were so outraged by Jesus. He was good, but he wasn't always nice. Now, I don't know about you, but that challenges me because I'm not sure I want a zealously loving Jesus. I might prefer the nice Jesus, thank you very much. I mean, I don't want a Jesus who's going to come into my life and start turning things upside down and start cleaning out my temple. I mean, maybe if he cleans up your temple, that's okay. I mean, yours could use a little dusting off, but mine is just fine. Thank you very much. But you see, love is fierce. And it insists on the good of the beloved. And so Jesus will come into the temple of our lives and overturn anything that separates us from him. 1 Corinthians 3 says that we are the temple of God. In the New Testament era, we become the temple. And just like Jesus clears the temple in Jerusalem, he wants to clear the temple of our lives of anything that keeps us from the abundant life that he's offering. And you see this all over this this story. For, For starters, Jesus wants to overturn the ways that we commercialize our relationship with him because that keeps us from having intimacy with him. One of the problems with the merchants in the temple is is that they're sort of turning a relationship with God into a business transaction. You buy a pigeon, you pay a temple tax, it turns relating to God into sort of a business transaction or something commercial. Now, I do something similar. I don't know about you, but I do this thing where when I want something from God... I start to barter with him. Maybe you do this too. You know, I, when I want something, I find myself sort of being a little extra good that week. <laughs> praying a little bit longer. Reading the Bible a little bit more. Not because I want to know him better, but because, frankly, I'm trying to butter him up. You know, what can I say? It's dumb theology, but it's mine, you know? And I'm guessing that some of you do that too, right? I'm, tell me I'm not alone in this, right? I'm, don't leave me out here. Okay, there you go. I got a couple of hands. And that turns God into our vending machine. It makes a relationship with him mechanical. And it keeps us from having intimacy with him. And Jesus loves us enough that he's going to overturn that and clean that up. The other thing that Jesus will overturn out of love for us is he's going to clean up all the ways that we exclude other people from his community. Another of the problems with these merchants is that they have set up shop in what was called the Court of the Gentiles. And that was meant to be a place where Gentiles, non-Jews, could come and worship God. But the problem is they've cluttered it up. And they've created a barrier between non-Jews, between people who are seeking God, and God. In fact, the entire temple itself was a system of barriers that excluded people from God. There was a court for Gentiles. There was a court for women. There was a court for just ordinary men. There's a court for priests. And then finally, only the high priest could go into the center of the temple. It was a system of barriers designed to keep people away. And Jesus overturns all of those barriers. 
Which is why at the end of the story, Matthew reports that even the blind and the lame came to the temple to be healed by Jesus, which is completely shocking. Because the blind and the lame were considered unclean, and they shouldn't have been anywhere near the temple. But Jesus overturns all the barriers that keep people away from him. Now, that sounds great in theory, but sometimes that challenges me, because sometimes I've set up some of those barriers myself to keep other people out. And I like those barriers, because sometimes I can be fairly judgmental. I remember one time at Menlo Park, our high school pastor got a letter from a woman complaining about the fact that there were a lot of non-Christian kids going to the youth group. I had the same reaction. She complained that the non-Christian kids made too much noise, they, they were smoking, they listened to bad music, some of them were cussing. People like that, she said, don't belong in church. Well, I, I just had a field day. Me, me and a couple other staff people, we just had a field day with this letter. I mean, we just started ripping it apart and pointing out all the theological errors of her ways. And it went too far. I mean, it really, we took it to extremes. And I was feeling pretty smug about myself for understanding the Almighty better than this woman did. Until someone pointed out to me that Jesus wanted this woman in his church every bit as much as he wanted the teenagers. And I was kind of convicted by that because I realized that Jesus wants to eliminate any barriers that anyone would set up, including me, that would keep anybody from knowing him. Now, for the woman who wrote that letter, she had to learn that Jesus wanted those teenagers in his church. And for me, I had to learn that Jesus wanted this woman in his church as well, and that neither of us could create barriers that blocked anyone from knowing God. Jesus wants to overturn any barrier that keeps people from him, whether that's some action or tradition or attitude on our part, whether it's our lack of concern for each other, whether it's something intentional or unintentional. Jesus wants to clear the way for people to know him. And he'll start gently at first, but if he needs to, he'll get a little bit feisty about it because he loves us and he doesn't want anything to keep us from knowing him. And that's really one of the take-home points of this sermon. In case you were wondering what the point of the sermon is, here it is. Jesus loves us so much that he will overturn any barrier that separates us from him and that keeps us from experiencing the abundant life he wants to give us, whatever that barrier might be. Maybe it's some sin that we keep coming back to which diminishes our life and makes us think that we can't go to him. He's going to want to clean that up. Maybe it's our greed that keeps us focused on money. Instead of focused on him, he's going to want to clean that up. Maybe it's our refusal to serve others, which keeps us from the joy of seeing God at work in our world. He'll clean that up. Maybe it's something that comes from the outside. Maybe someone is trying to hurt us. He's going to want to clean that up. Maybe it's some financial problem, some relationship problem, some health problem. He's going to want to clean that up and either eliminate it outright or turn it around and use it for good and to help us get to know him better. Because that's his mission, to take down any barrier between us and God. That's what the cross is all about, where Jesus eliminates the barrier of sin that kept us from knowing God. And he is still on that mission. Anything that threatens to separate us from him or keep us from the abundant life he wants to give us, he's going to clean it up. And what that means for us is two things. First, that means we have to let him do some housekeeping in our lives. 
The second thing it means, and this is my second take-home point of the sermon, get two today, for the price of one, two take-home points. Here it is. If we follow him, if we are his followers, then we need to be about the mission of taking down barriers between people and God as well. Now, I don't think that means that we should go kicking over tables and yelling and screaming or picketing. I'm not saying go out and be rude for Jesus. I don't think that helps anybody. And yes, Jesus gets very zealous here, but you know what? I trust him more than I trust myself to know when that kind of zeal is appropriate. If I were to do it, it wouldn't be righteous anger. It would be self-righteous anger. And there's a difference. So I'll leave the drama to Jesus. Besides, Jesus doesn't normally act like this. His usual mode of operation isn't picketing and yelling and screaming, but to quietly, but courageously and persistently bring good news to the poor, whether that's poor of purse or poor of spirit, and to set people free, whether they are held captive by something external like oppression or something internal like sin or addiction or fear or just the discouragement that life doesn't hold anything other than showing up at the office day after day. Jesus quietly but courageously works to draw people into a life-saving relationship with himself. And we are called to join him in that mission. Gently at first, warriors if need be, and always loving. And this might mean a lot of different things for different people. Maybe it means that we're more bold in talking to people about Christ so that they can know him. Not, not in an obnoxious way, you know, not getting in people's faces and answering questions that they're not asking you know, but just simply not ducking the issue when it comes up. You know, if someone says, what are you going to do this Sunday morning? We don't sort of dodge the issue. Oh, stuff. You know, no, I'm going to church. Would you like to come? If they're hurting, we say, I'll pray for you. If they voice a religious question, we give an honest answer, not an argument, but we share from our heart our experience. Maybe this means that we go on a short-term mission trip, like the people we commissioned this, this morning. So that we can go into the world and bring the good news of God's love and his justice to all kinds of people. Maybe it means we take a more hands-on approach to the poor so that they can know that God loves them. One of the things I do sometimes when a homeless person asks me for some money, I say, well, I'm not going to give you any money, but I will take you and buy you a meal at any of the restaurants on this street. And then I go into the restaurant with them, buy them the meal, sit down and eat it with them and, and talk to them. And I've ended up in taking some homeless people to some pretty fancy restaurants in my day, which kind of is kind of, you know, indecorous, but it's kind of cool. I like that. It's the rebel in me. Whatever we do, we are made in the image of a fierce, courageous God. And we are called to be brave in eradicating evil eradicating despair and poverty and hopelessness and drawing others into a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of that may occasionally color outside the lines of politeness and decorum, but we are not called to be decorous. We are called to be loving. And there's a difference. A friend of mine had a co-worker who discovered that his teenage daughter had been sleeping with her boyfriend and, and so this coworker went to my friend and he said, I'm so angry at her and I'm so angry at that boyfriend. I, I wish it was like the old-fashioned days where you could pull out a shotgun and force him to get married. And my friend said, you know, Jesus probably wouldn't pull a shotgun on anyone. And so the coworker said, yeah, you're right. So he thought about it for a while and then I think he ended up grounding his daughter for life or something like that. And then he went to the boyfriend 
And he said, well, I'm not going to take a shotgun to you, which probably came as a relief to the boyfriend. He said, Jesus forgives you and so do I, but here's what I want to do. I want to start meeting once a week and we're going to talk about Jesus and we're going to talk about the Bible and we're going to talk about how to treat women right. Well, the boyfriend figured that that was better than a shotgun and so he decided to do it. And to make a long story short, this boy ended up becoming a Christian. And this, this man ended up becoming a mentor and a father figure for the boy. In fact, the boy eventually broke up with the daughter, but he still hangs out with the father because they're such good friends, which probably just thrills the daughter, right? <laughs> Dad, no, I'm so embarrassed. Was that nice? No, I don't think it was. Was it good? Yeah. Was it loving? I think so. And that's Jesus. That's how Jesus is. He is loving, but fiercely so, courageously so. My dad tells a story about when he was a six-year-old boy, and his father had abandoned the family in the middle of the Depression. And they, they were homeless. In fact, they were squatters in an abandoned house. And at this house, there was a bird's nest with some eggs in it. And my dad and his siblings adopted this nest. And when the eggs hatched, they were so excited because it was the closest thing to pets that they were ever going to be able to have because they were so poor. Well, one day, they noticed that there was this rattlesnake that was sort of slithering across the grass toward the nest. And my dad and his siblings started screaming and kind of went crazy. And the, the mother bird was flying overhead, frantic because she was separated from her chicks. It was, it was just chaos. So my grandmother, who is a loving but simultaneously kind of terrifying woman, strides across the field, picks up this axe, and starts hacking the snake to bits. At which point there's even more chaos. I mean, the mother bird was chirping, the baby birds were chirping, my dad and his siblings were chirping, everyone was chirping. But she killed the snake, and the birds were safe. Now, was that a nice grandma? No. But it was good. Because it was either the snake or the birds, and next it could have been her own children, and she loved both enough to defend them and to eliminate anything that could hurt them. And my dad said that even though he was terrified at the time, he was also comforted. Because in the midst of the chaos that was his life at that time, he knew that he had this Amazon of a woman for a mother, <laughs> and that she was on his side, and that she would do battle with anything that threatened him. That's Jesus. Yes, he's gentle. Yes, he's kind. But he's also king of kings and lord of lords. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lord of hosts, the holy one of Israel, the great I am, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's the name above every other name. He's the rock of our salvation, the scepter of Israel, our shield and defender, the ancient of days. He is Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. He is Savior, Messiah, Redeemer and friend, and he is on our side. And there are things out there and there are things in here that threaten to separate us from him and keep us from the abundant life that he died to give us. And he is at work to destroy those things, to build God's kingdom, and to reconcile us to him. And our call 
is to join him in that mission. Gentle at first, warriors if need be, and always loving. We need to be good, but dangerous, like our Lord. Lord Jesus, you are a mighty fortress. You are our rock. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to live courageous lives. Lord, not to live obnoxiously or rudely, but boldly following you in spreading the kingdom of God in our lives, in our church, and in the world around us. Lord, both as individuals and as a community, we long to do that. And we ask that you would give us the power to be those kinds of people. And we will give you the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.